Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians, chapter 3, as we spend a few moments together before we take the Lord's Supper. We thought that was the way we ought to open our new year, is in reverence at the Lord's table. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we think of, or at least I do, Romans chapter 12, where we are told to surrender our bodies as a living sacrifice. It seems appropriate on this first day of the new year to declare you are the Lord of our lives. You are the master and the Lord of this fellowship. We want you to take central billing in all that we do for this next year. Lord, you know the things that we are concerned with. The things that create thoughts in our minds that nag us, especially at night. You know what we need most. And so it is appropriate that we surrender ourselves to you individually and collectively on this first day of 2012. In Jesus' name, amen. Where are we going? Remember asking that question? Or remember hearing that question? When your kids were younger, it was Nathan's favorite question. You couldn't put him in a car without him asking, Where are we going? Where are we going now? Uh, one time I took a trip. I was going somewhere. I didn't know where I was going. i got to explain. I knew that I was asked to speak for a friend at a church in Southern California. Lenny and I got on the airplane, flew into Los Angeles International Airport. And um, I looked at my watch, and we were standing by the curb, and I said, Don't worry, he'll be here, he'll be here. He might be a little late, but he's going to pick us up. Finally, Lenny turns to me, and she goes, He's not coming. I said, Excuse me? I mean, I mean, don't ditz him now. I mean, he's coming. No, he's not coming. You're not speaking here this weekend. And then she pulled out tickets to Hawaii that she had surprised me with. We got a little bit of extra tax money back from the end of the year, our filing. And she said, I only had him call you to invite you out here because I knew I couldn't get you out of the house any other way. We're going on a trip to Hawaii. (laughs) Pretty cool, huh? Where are you going individually this next year? You might have plans already made. But God might have some surprises for you. Where are we going as a fellowship? Well, our leadership team has gotten together and we've prayed strategically through what we think the Lord wants us to do, but He might hand us a surprise or two. I remember as a kid, around this time of the year, thinking about the future. I mean, way into the future. I'd sit on my pillow at night and I would think, how old am I going to be in the year 2000? Um, What am I going to grow up and do in terms of a career? Who am I going to marry? What is my life going to be like? 
And I started thinking and I started dreaming and I started planning. In 1973, I gave my heart to Christ and it was as if he handed me the ticket to Hawaii. He said, you're not going to do that. You're going to do this. I have a whole new life, a whole new future in store for you. Now, I think back on what the Lord has done through this fellowship. And um, I have an interesting perspective. I've been around a while now. Um, I think it's safe to say I have more years behind me than I have ahead of me. And I've watched the Lord move incredibly in this fellowship over the last 30 years. But one thing we must not do, and that is stop and look back on what God has done and just live that way. It's good to celebrate it, but we need to move on from that. We must never rest on our laurels. As I see it, we have, we have two options. Number one, we can, we can veg out as a church. We can look back and God did this and write our history down and celebrate what happened years ago. And that will certainly be the death of us. So we can veg out and become irrelevant eventually. Or number two, we can reach out and realize, thank God for what you've done, but Lord, please do more in the future. Now we enter into a text for just a few minutes before we take the Lord's Supper together. In Philippians chapter 3, let me just sort of help you get your bearings as we begin to read. Paul in this section is autobiographical. He's speaking about himself largely. He's using himself as the example. He's saying, this is who I am, this is where I've been, and this is where I want to go in the future. And the way Paul writes about where he wants to go in the future, he uses a metaphor that if you're used to the New Testament, you know that Paul likes a lot. He he uses the metaphor of being an athlete. Uh, Paul must have been a sports fan. I don't know if you like Monday night chariot races or like going to the Olympics or what it might be, but he writes, for example, about fighting the good fight. He speaks about running the race. He speaks about boxing like a shadow boxer. He uses lots of metaphor that speaks of the sports arena, and here he does it as well. One of my favorite verses, it's some related to this a bit, from 1 Corinthians 9, goes like this. Don't you know that everyone who runs in the race, they all run, but only one gets the prize. Then he says, run in such a way as to obtain the prize. Now with that in mind, let's look at our text. Beginning in verse 10. This morning I want to give you briefly four principles that you can use in navigating personally and collectively the new year. And here's the first one. Don't settle down, buckle up. Don't settle down, buckle up. I'll explain, but let's read verse 10 of Philippians chapter 3. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, 
I do not count myself to have apprehended. Stop. I am so relieved to read what we just read. Here's a man, Paul the Apostle, a high achiever, a very brilliant man, a very spiritual man, who, interestingly enough, when he writes Philippians, has been walking with the Lord for 30 years. We have been a fellowship in Albuquerque for 30 years. Paul has walked with the Lord 30 years, and he says, There is still room for me to grow. I have not yet arrived I have not yet attained. I am not perfected. So that's the principle. Don't settle down. Buckle up. Get ready for more. I wonder how many of you anticipate great things in this next year from the hand of a great God. Paul did. After 30 years, he's still moving. Now this tells me a couple of things. It tells me, number one, we never reach perfection this side of heaven. Have you ever met a person who believes in um, total, complete sanctification? Another name for it is sinless perfection. They believe that they can actually attain a state of sinlessness in sanctification while on the earth. Um, If you ever meet somebody like that, they're a pain. There's a spiritual pride that comes with that. Somebody once said a perfectionist is one who takes great pains and gives them to everybody else. (laughs) Some of you can relate. Some of you live with one. Some of you are one. (laughs) I am like that. I I can take great pains and give them to people. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that he once met a person who claimed sinless perfection. So Spurgeon, being the kind of guy that he was, took a pitcher of cold water and poured it on the man's head and just watched The man started swearing and cussing, proving, of course, that he wasn't sinlessly perfect. And Spurgeon smiled and said, I thought so. (laughs) So this tells me, number one, we never reach perfection this side of heaven. This tells me something else, number two. It's our sense of imperfection that drives us upward and onward. See, this is essential in a race. If you're a runner and uh, you're ahead of the pack... If you start thinking thoughts like, I am so far ahead of everybody, I have this race down, you know what's going to happen? You're going to slow down. And you may not win the race. So it's the sense of imperfection that I I need to keep going, I need to do better. That's the angst that we live with and should live with. It drives us on in the race as it did Paul the Apostle. Once we start comparing ourselves among ourselves, the Bible says we are not wise. Because it's always our tendency to look for people who aren't running the race quite as strong as we are. We can always find those people, well, I'm doing better than that person. Now, let me ask you a question. What if Paul were to compare his Christian race with anybody else? I mean, here's Paul the Apostle who who had a vision of God outside of Damascus. Here's Paul the Apostle who at his hand saw people get healed physically. Here's Paul the Apostle who wrote about half of the New Testament. Here's Paul the Apostle who was caught up into the third heaven. He could easily say, well, I might not be perfect, but I'm pretty close. And I'm certainly further ahead than anybody else. Now he writes, 
not as though I have already attained or am already perfected. And in verse 13, I do not count myself to have apprehended. A growing Christian is never satisfied with his or her spiritual state at present. I want to grow more. I want to know you deeper. I want to press on. So that's the first principle. Don't settle down. Buckle up. Here's the second principle. Don't do everything. Choose one thing. To put it in in medical terminology, don't be a GP, a general practitioner. Become a specialist. Specialize in something. Narrow your focus. Look at verse 13 again. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. There are people who dabble in many things and succeed at nothing. They expend lots and lots of energy and they accomplish very, very little. And so the Bible would have us narrow our focus. Here's a word for you to learn in 2012. It's a real simple word, but learn to say it. The word no. It's a handy little word to have around. Pull out of the pocket when people have demands and would you do this, would you do that? No, not because I don't love you, but because that's not what God has called me to do. Don't do everything. Choose one thing. I tell you, I have discovered how important this little phrase, one thing, has become. It's a biblical phrase used quite often. Here's a, here's a sampling. There was a guy who came to Jesus, a rich, young ruler, who said, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, Well, you know the commandments. He said, Well, all of these I have kept from my youth up. And then Jesus said, That's great, but there's one thing you lack. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. What Jesus did is put his finger on the one idol in that young man's life and said, that's what you need to deal with. Not everything, just that one thing. Just do that one thing. Then there was Mary and Martha. You know their story. Precious story. Martha loved to serve. Mary liked to hang out at the feet of Jesus. A lot of times we say, well, I'm more like Mary, or other people say, I'm more like Martha. And do you remember how Martha complained and said, well, Mary isn't working as hard as I'm working, Jesus? And Jesus said, Martha, you are distracted with many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken from her. Then there's Psalm 27, David writing, I love this. One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold His beauty. Another way of phrasing this is live with priorities. Don't do too many things. Narrow your focus down on a few things, the one thing that God has for you. Say yes to the right things and say no to everything else. We do have a tendency to want to major on the minors. And it's so easy to get distracted. Did you know that Dr. Billy Graham, on 22 different occasions in his public ministry, was offered land free of charge and a bankroll to build a Christian university? 22 different cities in America offered him land and money to build a Christian university. 
Billy Graham said no 22 times. Not because Christian universities aren't important, they are. But here was his answer. I believe it would be a great distraction to my preaching ministry. He knew that God called him to be an evangelist. That's who God made him, not to run a university. Let somebody else do that. Here's the one thing that God has called me to do. So, in 2012, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Lord, what is it you want me to do? Now, what is the one thing we do as a church? I like to evaluate us collectively as well as myself individually. There's one thing I believe this church is noted for is the Bible. We teach the Bible verse by verse, every single book. We preach the gospel. We bring people into relationship with Christ through the preached word. Then we teach them the word and they become discipled and they become equipped to disciple others. Now, there's lots of other things that we do that are not as important as the one thing. And I want to focus on the one thing. Now, people say, well, why don't you do this? And why don't you start that? And why don't you add this? All those are good. We don't have lots of basketball leagues for kids. We don't have schools for on and on. All of those are good things. But I'm reminded of um, Colonel Sanders' Kentucky Fried Chicken and the motto they had. I don't know if they still have it. Their motto was, we do chicken right. Remember that? I don't know if they still use that. We do chicken right. Now, that's, that's debatable if they do chicken right, but their point is that we don't do salads, we're not known for desserts, and we don't have lots of good steaks on our menu, but we do chicken. That's the one thing. And in their view, we do it right. Well, I want to do chicken right. I want to do Bible right. I want to narrow the focus to do the one thing and to do it well and equip people. So two principles. Don't settle down, buckle up. Don't do everything, choose one thing. Here's the third principle for your new year. Don't look backward, move forward. Notice what it says. In verse 13, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If you want to lead a miserable life, live your life looking back over your shoulder. I should have done that. I could have done this. Living in all the past regrets. Try to imagine a runner on a track running like like this. What's going to happen eventually? Splat. Crash. Burn. So you have to forget where you've been and you have to think about the goal that is ahead of you. And that is the idea that he writes in this verse. There's a lot of Christian people that are crippled. They're spiritual cripples. They've been paralyzed by past hurts, um, bitternesses, grudges that they hold. If, If I want to think of one person that is the best example of letting go of the past and moving ahead, it's a guy in the Old Testament named Joseph. Joseph was hurt by his brothers. He could have easily had a grudge because he was in prison for many, many years because of what they had done, not because of what he had done. And yet in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, this is the end of his life. He says to his brothers, as for you, you meant this for evil against me, but God meant it for good 
to save many people alive as it is this day. He took all of what could have become a grudge in his life and he let it go. Hey, whatever it is in your past, move on now. Let it go. Don't let the past dominate the present, which will put a stranglehold on your future. So, don't look backward, move forward. Notice how he writes it here. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. The word reaching describes in Greek a muscle being strained to the limit. Picture the athlete on the track who is straining. The hand reaches forward. He sees the tape. And every muscle is straining to reach the goal. That's the idea here. Notice also the little word press in our verses. Paul mentions it twice. One in verse 12, I press on. And another time in verse 14, but I press. Now, the word press, sort of like the word reaching forward, means I put every ounce of my fiber into running the race. Every ounce of my being, everything that I have, I'm pressing. The word dioko, I press, is the same word that he used in verse 6, translated persecute. Now let me explain without having to read it because we have have a short time here. Paul talks about his past life in verse 6. And he goes, let me tell you, I hated the church so much. I hated Christians so much before I was a Christian. I persecuted the church. Same word as I press. Dioko. Now in verse 12 and in verse 14 he says, I now presently as a Christian, I press toward the goal. Here's the meaning. The same amount of energy I expended before I was a Christian doing the devil's work, I now expend as a Christian doing God's work. All of the energy I used in ruining the church, I now expend in running the race. Get the picture? I have a question for you. If you were to put as much application, effort, pressing into your spiritual life, as you do your hobbies. What would your life look like in 2012? If you were to put as much emphasis on spirituality as shopping or golfing or technology, what would your spiritual life be like in 2012, in one year from now? I press toward the mark. Now I want to say this, as a church... I thank God for what He's done in the past. He's done a lot. I've watched God multiply thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people over the years who have given their lives to Christ. I've watched Him take us from one little Bible study into another building to a bigger building to four services in this building. But I want to tell you something. I don't want to look back. I want to press forward. Um, My hand is reaching that way. I don't want to do one of these things. Oh, that's nice. Now I can just rest. There's still more unbelievers out there. There's still more work to be done and impact to be made in the community. Here's the fourth principle before we take the Lord's Supper. Don't travel alone. Walk together. Now I take you to verse 14, uh, verse 15. 
Now watch this. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this even to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Now there's a change linguistically from the beginning of this chapter to this part. Up to this point, Paul is talking about himself. He's autobiographical. Here am I. I am Paul. I used to be this way. I made these choices. This is what I have done. And now I want to do this and I want to know Christ and I press and I reach forward. But now there's a a change from the I to the us and the we, the plural, the collective. And there's a principle in that. In 2012, don't isolate yourself. Don't travel alone. Walk together. Runners do better in packs. Athletes encourage one another by setting a pace and by their own running because we we tend to want to lag behind or we get discouraged because it's a long race sometimes. So when we travel together in packs and there's the accountability and the refreshment and the encouragement that comes from the group, we do better. Now let me speak directly to some of you who have gotten off the track completely and are just sitting in the bleachers. That's a tendency to do in the Christian life. We we go from participant to observer. Uh, Somebody once said uh, sports like basketball, baseball, football, and hockey develop muscles. And that's why Americans have the strongest eyes in the world. We love to watch sports. We love to be spectators at that. Here's what's funny about spectators. Sad, but funny. Is spectators are the ones that give all the advice to the athlete. Shouldn't have done that. Ren, wasn't right, wasn't there when the, when the pass was made. Should have caught that. Oh boy, that was a bad game, right? Am I right? They're not doing anything, but they like to tell other people how to do it. Not acceptable in the church. The church is not a spectator sport. It's a participation. I need people who will walk and press and run and reach forward and get in the game this year. All of us together. All of you who have gifts, and if you're not utilizing them, you're robbing the rest of us of your participation. So, before we take communion, or as we do, I want you to think of just a few principles And keep them in your mind today and for this next year. Number one, think progress, not perfection. Nobody's asking you to be perfect. Paul said, I'm not perfect. After 30 years, I'm still growing. So just think progress, not perfection. Are you making progress? Number two, think future, not past. Past for whatever it is, for good or bad, is the past. Let it go. Think future, not past. Number three, think together and not alone. He who isolates himself is not wise, Proverbs 18, verse 1. Think together. Who can I run with, walk with into the future? Together with. The team. And fourth, think participant, not spectator. God doesn't want your eyes in 2012. He wants your hands to the plow 
your mouths to speak his word, your feet to do his bidding, your hearts engaged in the process. Of all the things that God has done and we're grateful for, he still needs us with our time and our talent and our treasure to have our hands to the plow. As I pray, I'm going to ask the communion board to come up and we're going to pass out the elements to you as we take communion as the last part of this service together. Lord, there's so many more things that could be said to flesh out these principles that Paul writes about in Philippians 3. But with what has been noted, I pray for us. I pray, Lord, that we, your people, simply surrender to you for your will, simply asking, where are we going, Lord? What do you want me to do? What do you have for us? And how can I be a part of it? I pray that we will leave the past behind and walk boldly into the future. Allowing you to do something wonderful in and through each of us. For some of us, you may give us brand new flight tickets. A whole new adventure we've never thought of before. Something we never planned on. I pray we would be open and I pray we would be excited to see what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.